welcome to uh, Gateway on Facebook Live. We're psyched about this. I've got a few of the people from staff and a couple of our elders are here. So let's just hear a round of applause in the background. That is for those of you who are joining us, let's, uh, you know, let's be thankful for the opportunity that we have the technology to be able to do this kind of thing. And uh, I honestly, um, let's be thankful for, you know, this whole thing didn't surprise God. So let's be thankful for uh, the adventure for us as a community. We're going to get this figured out, how to care for one another. And I think God's going to do some good stuff uh, in us and through us uh, through this time. And let's be thankful as individuals and as a family uh, for the opportunities that we'll have um, usually at uh, some point in every one of our services, uh, we pass Christ's peace to one another. We say, peace of the Lord be with you. And the other person responds, and also with you. Uh, let me tell you what we're going to do today. Um, first, I'm going to begin by interviewing Jordan uh, for a few minutes. He's had an incredible experience that I think Gina's interrupting again. Give us, give us, um, give us two seconds to configure this because I don't want to hold it the whole time. <laughs> okay. Um, so can somebody come up here and hold us for one second? Thank you, everybody, for your patience. Thank you for your patience. I'm going to begin by uh, interviewing Jordan because he's had a he's had a um, incredible experience recently that I think could be instructive for us. Uh, during this time and uh, then I've got a normal Sunday morning message and you know today we're going to be talking about a real a basic truth of our faith we're continuing the autobiography of God series and I, I really prayed about this and going to do this intentionally because we've kind of heard enough about coronavirus I figure so we're going to go ahead with our series at least this morning uh, we may take a break over the next week or two and, and talk about something else uh, and then we're going to have a prayer exercise. Um, the president has uh, encouraged us to pray today as his people, and we're going to do that. Um, and then we'll have some announcements, and then we'll be ending up. Um, and I am, in case you're wondering, I'm stalling uh, while we get the camera set. Now it's moving into place. Does that work? Is that the right angle? That's that's the right angle. All right. I, can I get Can I get somebody bring me a box of tissue? Would you leave? Would you grab that? Thank you. Why do you need that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're, so they're saying it's hard to hear. All right. So I'll try to yell. Um, so Jordan, uh, those of you. Who Hi. Go, <laughs> <laughs> Those of you who go to Gateway uh, recognize Jordan. He's our worship leader. And uh, Jordan has wanted to do something for a number of years that he actually did during the month of January and the first part of February. So uh, we called it a radical sabbatical. So what did you do, Jordan? Yeah, um, like you said, I've, I've had this in mind for a couple of years and it's really been hard to uh, find the time in my schedule because the plan was essentially to get away for 40 straight days um, to unplug and disconnect from uh, my normal everyday life. So by unplug, you mean no I Netflix, no, no, no internet, no computer, uh, no phone, no TV. I had pretty much no contact 
with the outside world. And uh, it was hard to find 40 straight days um, in, with a work schedule. So I ended up leaving my job in, just so I could go do this and have the, the time off uh, for almost six weeks to get away. And did you do it? I mean, I did. I, I did it, yeah. Um, okay, so I liked uh, you were telling us at one point that you envisioned going in, you used to be a runner, used mm -hmm. to be. Uh, and uh, when you run long distance, kind of, the, you said the hard point is like right before halfway, yeah. because you hit a wall and you realize, right. I've got even more left than I've done. Yeah, you just mentally, there's a block at the, right before the halfway mark because you're tired, you're exhausted, and and when you look at what you have left, you, you're not even halfway done. So I was kind of approaching this the same way that I approach exercise in that way. I was expecting to hit kind of a wall, a mental block right before the halfway mark. Uh, that was my, that was what I prepared for going in and I was ready for it. And, and you um, said it came early. It came around day six. <laughs> so. Um, expecting to hit a wall around day 18 or 19, I hit the wall on day six. So that was a little discouraging. And the wall felt like what? The wall was a lot of restlessness, the, the anxiety. Um, and it was a, what I call a, a debilitating boredom. It was a, a level of boredom that I had never experienced before. And I had things to do while I was gone. Um, I brought my guitar, I brought some um, paint and art supplies, I, I cooked, I had a lot of books there with me. Um, I was at a beautiful lake, so there was no shortage of things to do, but this, uh, this level of boredom just kept me from wanting to do anything productive. So this led, um, Jordan made a series of uh, observations over his time that um, I mean, honestly, some of them are life-changing, but this was one. This is the one that I wanted you to share. So it led to uh, an observation that knocked me out, and I think would be very instructive for us during this time. I mean, the time that we're in right now with the way the coronavirus is shutting everything down. So what happened? What yeah, happened? I, uh, I was basically, once I hit that wall, kind of checking the, the calendar every 10 minutes, which made the days go by even slower. I thought, surely I must have missed a day. Am I sure it's only Tuesday? And I've heard people have been saying very similar things the last week. Uh, and, um, and, and so I kind of struggled through that for a couple days. Um, really unclear how I was going to last another 30 plus days. Uh, I, I never thought of, of quitting or dropping out just because I'd built up to this for so long. But I was worried that my time wasn't going to be effective and that um, this boredom was going to plague me the rest of my time. So, uh, so for, yeah, for several days I, I struggled through that. And then during a time of meditation, which is um, a practice that I wanted to incorporate every day. During one of those particular times of meditation, I feel like I got a revelation uh, that knocked me out and rocked my world. Um, essentially, what I realized was that going into the sabbatical, I was carrying a lot of conventional thinking, uh, worldly thinking, and that thinking taught me that when I strip away every layer from life, the strip away the Netflix, strip away interaction, um, strip away work, 
And when I'm finally left with nothing, that's when the boredom seeps in. And with, with no work and no entertainment, boredom inevitably and um, necessarily seeps in. And so I thought that I was dealing with that necessary boredom. But what I realized uh, through that time meditation was that boredom is actually the last layer that needs to be stripped away before there's actually nothing. And so when I realized that, I started to see boredom for what it was, which was an attack by the enemy. And when I recognized that it was attack, I started go, going on, on the offensive. So I started praying against that spirit of boredom. And I, I prayed for a spirit of excitement and, and a spirit of joy and peace. And uh, that was one of the only prayers, the whole sabbatical, that got answered instantly. It was a, um, a paradigm shift, and it, and it happened right there in that moment. Um, I, I started to see boredom for what it was. And started to treat it very differently. And, and rather than just accepting it as a necessary result of having nothing to do, uh, it was hindering my ability to seek true solitude uh, through that loneliness. Unbelievable. And over the next couple of weeks, and especially if this stretches on beyond that, we're gonna have times of boredom. And so this is a great opportunity for us to lean in uh, to recognize bo that boredom for what it is and to press beyond underneath uh, that layer and not to just run uh, for, to, to grab some kind of entertainment because that's what we do when we're bored. We, we grab the next level, the next kind of entertainment to, to fill up that boredom. And uh, thanks, Jordan. Yeah. Great opportunity. Okay, appreciate it. Um, I'm going to share some, uh, I want to continue our, our conversation that we've been having over the last couple of weeks at Gateway on the Autobiography of God. And uh, I want to uh, launch into that now if I can. As I said today, the, uh, the character, we're looking really at characteristics of God and the characteristic of God, we're, we're only doing this for a few weeks, so all of them are epic. Uh, today, arguably, maybe the most epic characteristic of all that we're going to be talking about and it gives us an opportunity really to talk about the basics of our faith so uh let me let me kick this off with prayer before we get started uh father thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity to do this and i pray for each of us those of us who are at home connect our hearts lord uh if we're experiencing need today i pray that you would meet that need those of us who are experiencing uh, unsettlement and fear. I pray that you would be a place of peace and comfort for us. Lord, we pray for those who are sick. We pray for uh, businesses over the next several weeks. We pray for our folks especially, uh, that you would guard us um, and guide us financially. Uh, Lord, use our time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna be looking at a very familiar story um, often at Gateway on Sunday mornings, we say, uh, uh, let's stand out of reverence for God's word. We won't do that today. I suspect some of you are in your pajamas, so please keep your seat. Uh, this, this is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It's on mygateway.life. If you've got a Bible, open it up next to your cup of coffee, and um, let's read this together. 
Jesus continued, he's about to tell a story. I'm gonna give you a second in a second the context in which this story happened. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need because we can't always predict the conditions in which our life will find itself. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go to my go back to my father and, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. Sorry. Technically challenged. Where was I? Uh, hello, stay with me. We came to his senses. Uh, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's got his uh, prepared speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because... This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the autobiography of God. Uh, and today our topic is our God is a God of grace. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack the story and it's a perfect lens through which to look at the grace of God. And then we're going to, after that, we're going to kind of zoom to the very end of Jesus's life and we'll look at the quintessential expression of the grace of God. Now it's common to think of Christianity as a religion of grace. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but if you've been around the church for very long, you probably have. What do we mean when we say that, that Christianity is a religion of grace? For some of us, we think of this grace as applying to ourselves primarily, as if it means that we're really nice people. Think of the phrase, oh, she's so gracious. So the idea that Christianity is a religion of grace in this case would mean that we're really nice people. Uh, for others of us, 
The idea that Christianity is a religion of grace means some kind of religious activity. I like the way one author put this. He said, for many of us, grace brings to mind a sort of celestial electricity received like a battery charge by plugging into the sacraments. In other words, we go to church on Sunday to receive grace, meaning we receive the sacraments. But these ideas are um, off the mark and maybe widely. If you've been around a Christian church very much in your life, then you know that there are countless hymns that have been written over the centuries praising the grace of God. And I can assure you that we're not praising a force that we tap into when we receive the sacraments. The Apostle Paul from the New Testament, he spent his whole ministry fighting for the grace of God. Some of you have heard of St. Augustine, the great fourth century theologian. He spent his entire writing and teaching ministry fighting for the grace of God. And the reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin spent the whole 16th century fighting for the grace of God. And I can assure you, they were not fighting to ensure our niceness. They were fighting for something much larger and more impactful. And today, we still have to fight for the grace of God or for grace because the spirit of our age and our own inclinations constantly threaten to uh, undermine it, to weaken our concept of grace. And here's the thing, without an understanding of God's grace, we can't know God. We can't have a relationship with him. So what does it mean then? How does it impact us? And this is where uh, the prodigal son story can be very helpful. So I wanna start by um, giving you the context. There are really two things that you need to know about this story to set it up for us. And the first one is the context, and I'll go back to the beginning of chapter 15. This, uh, remember, this is from Luke 15, and I'm gonna read verses one and two. They say this, now the tax collectors, tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so uh, the context of this story is a familiar one in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, he's constantly, it seems, at odds with the religious rulers, and this is the heart of their, uh, their, their anger with him, their misunderstanding of his ministry. He's always welcoming unsavory people. Why? That's the context. That's the context in which he tells the story. That's really the context of his ministry. The second thing that we need to know uh, to understand this story is to know that this story from Jesus is an allegory. Now, often when Jesus tells his stories, they're not allegories. Often, usually, in fact, they just make one simple point. We can sometimes get into trouble when we try to turn Jesus' stories into an allegory, but this one is. And an allegory is an allegory because everything in the story represents something. And I don't know if you can see the, the smaller print here, but the father in the story represents God. And the younger son represents all of those whom the Pharisees see as tax collectors and sinners. The older son represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The wild living represents all that the younger son does to entertain himself. Sometimes just for pleasure, sometimes, right, overcome boredom. It's the fun, the creativity, the risky investments. So basically, everything he does to find his meaning, purpose, and pleasure apart from the family and apart from the father's will. And the pigsty represents bottoming out. It's, it's an epic low. All right, then verses 20 through 24 represent the grace of God. Essentially, 
The word grace isn't mentioned, but this is probably the clearest picture of the grace of God in the entire Bible. So I want you to hear this. But while he, the younger son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, ignoring the son, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals in his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Why do I say this is the clearest picture of the grace of God in the Bible? I want to give you a, a sentence. And if you miss everything else, don't miss this. That will capture this. What this, what these verses show us is a lavish, counterintuitive celebration that is unimaginably undeserved. So I'm going to unpack that sentence for a second. And while we do so, in the process, I'm going to also emphasize three important truths that are intricately related to the grace of God that we've got to understand. So first of all, lavish. Uh, it's a, this is completely over the top, right? Jesus means it so. This is the only time in the Bible when God is pictured as running. I'm mindful of, it, it reminds me of the Apostle Paul's benediction in uh, Ephesians 3.20. He says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. God's activity toward us is lavish. This is why Jesus talks about having life to the full. Some of you know this passage. Jesus said at one point, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, comparing Satan to a thief. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full lavish. And this is why the psalmist talks about pleasures forever in Psalm 16. Being in God's right hand and available to us, God's activity toward us is lavish. But let's also recognize truth number one, the, the counter truth, the, the flip side of this. God's activity toward us is lavish. We are spiritually impotent. So truth number one, we are spiritually impotent. In terms of our connection with God, Jesus does not ever instruct us to work harder. He instructs us to believe and to surrender. Actually instructs us to repent, which if you think about it means stop everything, turn a different direction, turn to him in faith because we are spiritually impotent. We can't do it for ourselves. In Jesus' story, remember? The prodigal is given the most elaborate clothes to wear. He couldn't afford rags, but he's given the most elaborate robe. The prodigal was given a feast. He couldn't afford pig's food, but he's given the richest dinner. The prodigal is given a re-inclusion in the family. He couldn't do any of these things for himself. They were impossible, unimaginable, out of reach. You know, in survey after survey, I've said this before uh, at, at Gateway because I've seen it a number of times, a significant number of people, when asked man on the street kind of surveys, a significant number of people will say that their favorite Bible verse is God helps those who help themselves. Only that doesn't come from the Bible. That's from Benjamin Franklin. It would be closer to the truth for us to say God helps those who can't help themselves. God's activity toward us is lavish. It's over the top. We couldn't do it for ourselves because we're spiritually impotent. The second thing I want to hit here is that it is undeserved. This may be the heart 
of what the grace of God suggests, means, how it impacts us. Look at the opening scene of the story. The younger son says, Father, give me my share of the, of the estate. So he makes a demand of the, an outrageous demand of the father, an unheard of demand in Jesus's day, in any day really. So everything that the father has for the son is given to him. Get that. Everything that the father has as part of his estate that's for the younger son is given to him. I repeat, the younger son has taken his part of the estate. He's done with his inheritance. There's no more. Worse than that. This request would have been especially odious to an ancient Near Eastern audience. You simply did not leave your family like this. You certainly didn't do this if you were the younger son. It was culturally unimaginable. You didn't get your inheritance until your father died. Pause for dramatic effect. This wasn't even a question. Your father was the head of the household. Your father was the head of your household until he died. So Jesus' audience knew, knew immediately that there is a horrible offense buried in the younger son's request. I want you dead, father. That's what he's saying. You're nothing to me. I wish you were dead already. I want to be done with you. Let's get this story straight. This younger son is not, you know, basically a nice kid who just needs to sow some wild oats. He's not a good guy. He wants his father dead. Of course, after he wishes his father dead and takes everything that would be his, as if his father were dead, then he wastes it all. Well, too bad, right? Hey, buddy, you now have in this particular pigsty exactly what you deserve. So any welcome back to the family would have been undeserved to say the least, but the welcome that he gets is unimaginable. At just this point in the story, when we think we're beginning to get a handle on how lavish and undeserved God's activity toward us is, enter the older brother. Now the older brother in the story has done everything right. He stayed by his father's side. He never disobeyed his father's orders. He has remained committed to his father and to the family. Yeah, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat calf for him. But wait, son, your brother has come home. I don't care. He's a changed man, the father pleads. I don't care. You wasted your resource. You're wasting your resources on him, parentheses, my resources. He doesn't deserve this, parentheses, I do deserve this. Look, the older brother has all the right answers here. He's a good church person. He's on the right side of all the important issues. He's right about behavior. He's right about social issues. He's right about what families do and don't do for one another, but he's wrong about what matters most. The older brother, he's not a good guy either. He's convinced he is, but his heart is closed. And just like his younger brother, he's thinking of how his dad's resources will affect him. He's not concerned about his brother, of course not, but he's not even concerned about his father. If he was concerned about his father, he'd be glad that his father's so, heart is so full of joy, but he's not glad. You see, in Jesus' mind, the older brother represents the 
absence of grace. He's got all the right answers, but he's exactly the opposite of godliness. For the older brother, it's about getting what you deserve. That's the way the world works in his mind. I'm going to repeat that. For the older brother, it's about getting what you deserve. That's the way the world works in his mind and in many of ours. And he thinks he deserves good things. Why else have I obeyed you all these years, Father? The older brother is not a good guy. Truth number two, we are not good people. Not at the root of who we are, not really, not by nature. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one, Romans chapter three. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God, not really. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I would spend longer on this if we had more time, but uh, the Enlightenment, you remember that hugely important philosophical movement from high school, Western Civ or college classes. The Enlightenment taught us to believe in, among other things, science. It gave birth to secular humanism. It taught us that, that learning, information, education is the key. Ignorance is the enemy. We're getting better and better. We'll eliminate war as soon as we eliminate ignorance. And then the 20th century happened. And we experienced the horror of Hitler and the abomination of Stalin and the heinous awfulness of Cambodia's killing fields, just to mention a few. That's how we ended up with uh, postmodernism. The 20th century brought down our philosophy, our philosophical underpinnings. And now, according to postmodernism, there's no such thing as truth. All that matters is my truth and, and my journey. That's all there really is. Because if we admit that there is absolute, unassailable truth, then we have to admit that there are ways that we might be living wide of that mark. We are not good people. And what we get from God is undeserved. So first century religious leaders and 21st century conservative Christians, when we point our fingers at those sinners, please remember we're not better and we might even be worse. Third critical thing we got to get about the grace of God is that it is counterintuitive. So uh, what the father does here makes no sense and you're not going to understand this story unless you see that now look it makes a little bit of sense to us but i'm convinced that's only because we know this story so well many of us and because we're profoundly influenced by christian thinking here this is not what should have happened this doesn't make sense and 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 it doesn't happen by the way it doesn't ha this doesn't happen because god is nice this brings us to truth number three. God is perfectly just. And his justice is always served. That's why Psalm eleven seven says, and in many other places, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. And God's just standard must be served all the time, everywhere. This is how the world works. This is the world God made. That is a world with perfect justice at its core. So injustice is punished and, and ultimately always. But wait, we see injustice happen all the time. It happens to us. Sometimes we even perpetrate it. 
And ultimately, the Bible makes clear that God will settle all of those accounts. That's why Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Prodigals should not get welcomed home. So when the younger son returned, the father should have said, away from me, you're done. You wished me dead and now you're dead to me. You already received all that was your due. Now you get nothing. That's what should have happened. And everyone in Jesus's audience knew it. Instead, what happened was a lavish, counterintuitive celebration that was unimaginably undeserved. What happened was grace. Let's come around the final turn and wind up. So here's the message of Jesus' story in a nutshell. Jesus, why are you always hanging out with these unsavory people? They completely disregard the law. They're not good people like we are. Why do you associate with them? Jesus' answer, because God is gracious. It's an integral part of his nature. He welcomes sinners and the degenerate and the lost and the losers. He throws a party for prodigals. And I've come to show you that. I've come to show you the grace of God. That's what this story means. Now, concerning this attribute, this is such a critical attribute in understanding God's character. So concerning the grace of God, we've got to see that Jesus's life <clears throat> was more than just this. It was more than just show and tell. Jesus's life was a matter of execution and finishing. So he not only showed us and talked about the grace of God, he accomplished it. Here's what I mean. Sometime uh, over the next few weeks while you're isolating yourself from others, I want to encourage you with this as a backdrop, read the book of Romans. And if you read the book of Romans very loosely, let me tell you how this lays out and what the apostle Paul, the argument that he lays out to those Roman Christians and to us, it's kind of like this. Imagine yourself entering a courtroom and he uses legal language throughout this book. Imagine yourself entering into a courtroom and the evidence that is presented is your life. And what it's measured against is the standard of the law. Because the purpose of the law was to show us how to be perfect. So your life measured against the law and the, the, the evidence shows we didn't get it done. Oh, we were, we were, we, we, we hung around the father and we, we did everything we thought he told us to do, but we didn't get it done. Every little slip up, every time that we disregarded our father and every time that we really did what we did because we wanted to get from the father, all of that measured against the law. We did not measure up verdict, guilty sentence. Because God is just, separation from God and death. The wages of sin is death. But God, because he's gracious, he found another way. A way to be both, as Paul said, the one who's just and the one who justifies. He took our penalty by coming in the form of God the Son. He lived a perfect life and then died sinless, but took our sin on himself. He took our place. He died our death. A death that God literally allowed to be a substitute for our death. Now, now all we have to do is believe it, to lean in, to trust it fully. 
This is what Paul meant when he said that we are made right with God through our faith in Jesus. I want to read you a critical passage from this letter. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 22 through 26. It's not on the screen. Romans 3, 22 through 26. When we're finished, you finish your coffee, go read this later. Romans 3, 22 through 26. This righteousness that he's been talking about, this, this perfect standard from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Older brothers, younger brothers, sisters, aunts, and uncles, all. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just meaning he's accomplished the punishment of sin and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but I can remember years ago seeing in Sunday school a little acronym attached to the word grace. And this passage explains what the acronym means. The acronym is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. And it calls on you and I to respond, to, to look to him in faith, to believe. It's that simple. Our God is a God of grace. He's a God who offers lavish, counterintuitive celebrations that are unimaginably undeserved. For us, that means we have to trust Christ. Let me close in prayer. So Lord, thank you for your grace offered to us at Christ's expense, your riches, your lavish, undeserved awesomeness offered to us because of what Jesus has done. And I pray for each of us in our homes as we're watching this, Lord, that you, you would make that come alive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alex? <coughs> hey, this is the point in the service where we would normally take an offering. So uh, I'll just remind you then that if you want to give this morning, uh, you can. Uh, you want to still off? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go to announcements. It's just, it's just the next slide. Oh, okay. Gina is so good. She had this set up for us. We just didn't confirm beforehand. So anyway, you can give on mygateway.life. Uh, I didn't know this until this morning, but there's a little yellow uh, icon down in the bottom right. If you go to mygateway.life and it's kind of puzzling to me, but if you click on it, it takes you straight to the giving page. So uh, you can do that if you want to give, or you can always mail your contributions to uh, our mailing address, which is on mygateway.life as well, or it's on our website. So um, we appreciate you joining with us and just want to encourage you to um, continue giving while we're uh, socially distancing ourselves because uh, we want to continue being able to serve not just our church, but there are going to be some opportunities uh, in the weeks ahead for us to really love the people around us in our community. So um, thanks for your faithfulness with that.
So um, if you have any prayer requests, our prayer team is readily praying, is ready to pray with you. You can submit your prayer requests online through mindgateway.life on the prayer card. We also would be glad to pray with you by phone or Skype. And if it would encourage you to do so with some people in your group or friends or family, please do that. Um, email and texts are going to be a great way to share prayers with the people in our community. Uh, we've got 40 days of focus. That's what we've called this text messaging campaign that we have. Uh, we started for the Lenten season so that we could focus in the, in the weeks leading up to Easter on either continuing to untangle our lives, which was our last sermon series, uh, or to drill down a little bit more on the current sermon series on the autobiography of God. And if you're not already subscribed to that, you can sign up for them uh, at mygateway.life and you can get one or several text messages a day, uh, depending on your area of interest that will maybe help encourage you to stay close to God and focus your attention on your relationship with him. We also wanted to let you know about some uh, updates uh, because of the coronavirus. All of our gateway events have been canceled at least through next Sunday and we'll update you as we uh, get more information as the situation develops. You can stay up to date on Facebook or mygateway.life. Uh, but this week we are going to keep our office hours. So Tuesday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You're welcome to call or email and we're going to try to be really responsive to people uh, since it's not as convenient for you to stop by. Uh, we are taking additional measures to help prevent uh, transmission of coronavirus. So we're definitely encouraging social distancing. It's been awesome to have uh, about 160 or more people tuned in this morning uh, to the live stream event. It's awesome that uh, Leo Carney is tuned in from Guatemala and Christina is tuned in from Japan and we don't usually get to worship together. So we're really glad to have you guys here and maybe there's some value in this uh, distributed model of worshiping together. We're also uh, increasing the sanitizing and the cleaning in the building. We've set up hand sanitizing stations. Uh, we're trying to minimize handshakes. So just, you know, when you see somebody do an offer like, hey, how's it going? You know, where it's just uh, really weird, but uh, it'll be better than, you know, shaking hands. And uh, we're making daily adjustments as we get new information from government leaders and health experts. So we'll keep you updated as we get updated. And if you have regular attending kids who are elementary or preschool age, you should have received an email this morning from me, Allison Hansen, or from our elementary director, Heather DeJani, with a Bible study that you can do at home with your kids today. Um, if you'd like to get that and you didn't, please email us at info at gatewaychurch.org. And depending on how things develop with coronavirus, we anticipate delivering more content digitally. So please make sure you email us so we can have you on our contact list and we can push things out to you as we move forward. Gosh, I realized during this whole thing I was supposed to be advancing the slides so that you won't get mad at me. Look, see, there we go. Uh, yeah, join the slide next week. Uh, so uh, we really well, uh, are, are glad that you joined us and we welcome your feedback. We really need it. Thank you, whoever it was that said, hey, the picture's sideways this morning. That was a, that was a good call. Thank you. Uh, we're trying to figure this out and we would love your suggestions, not just about this. But there are lots of things that um, we would love to get your feedback on. Uh, we want to wrap up our time today with a kind of a, a prayer exercise. For those of us who follow Jesus, every day is a day of prayer. But as you may know, this is a national day of prayer, uh, especially with respect to the coronavirus. And so we want to take a minute and uh, just kind of 
uh, spend some time in particular directions. So if you would pray with me, uh, I'm going to kind of lead us through this and, uh, and I'll pray and then give you time to pray and then I'll wrap us up at the very end. So uh, let's, let's go to God. Uh, Father, in your mercy, we pray that you would stop this pandemic and save lives, uh, not just here in the suburbs, but especially in places around the world where uh, medical treatment is uh, less available and people are under-resourced. So we pray that you would be at work and we ask you in the next uh, few moments of quiet to hear the prayers of each person who's praying right now. God, in this uh, season, we pray for our president, for our elected officials, for the, uh, the leaders in our country who are making decisions that have a huge impact. We pray that you give them wisdom. Uh, we pray that you would direct <clears throat> them in the, the best way to care for our nation and to uh, stop the spread of coronavirus and to uh, get the resources where they are most needed. Hear our prayers in these moments of silence, Lord. God, your word tells us to number our days carefully so that we can develop wisdom in our hearts. And so in this season, we pray that you would give wisdom to people all over the world, help them to realize how fragile life is and how real eternity is. And we pray that you would draw their hearts to you and turn them uh, away from uh, a worldly pursuit and, and tune them into who you are and how great your love and your grace is for them. We pray, God, that you would bless those in ministry all over the world, the missionaries and teachers, uh, people who are serving you in faraway places facing challenges we don't even know about. We pray that you would bless their ministry and that their work would not be hindered, but it would actually be enhanced. Finally, Lord, we pray for all of the families and people who are associated with uh, Gateway Community Church. We pray that you would um, give them direction and wisdom and discernment as they wrestle with decisions and with anxiety and uh, with uh, concerns. We pray that you would use them to be your hands and feet to the people around them. 
Help them to love and serve in a way that gives you honor and glory. And we pray for wisdom for the leaders here at Gateway, that uh, we would figure out new ways to do ministry in this season of social distancing. Help us uh, to keep our eyes on you. And uh, we are so grateful that we don't need a spirit of fear, uh, but you have given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And so we choose to keep our focus on you. May we honor and glorify you in the week ahead. We ask this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, go in peace and have a great week. Thank you.